AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Farm and ranch groups are taking aim at EPA's Waters of the U.S. Final Rule. We've got the details for you. And Animal Ideas back in Cattlemen's Focus. And today is the day the Treasury Department says it will take extraordinary measures to keep paying the bills. What does that mean? We'll figure out exactly what that means. Live from the bi-decacentennial of the first transatlantic radio broadcast via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Ethan Lane from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Then it's Dr. Vince Belanga from LaSalle Economics. And right after the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. And now the host of AgriTalk to Flory. By decacentennial of That's the right. first what? Tran- the first transatlantic radio broadcast. Really? 19- 1903 between uh, the United States and England. By decacentennial, 120 years. Okay. I have here in my notes that uh, that first broadcast was like, is this thing on? Is this on? Is it going? I don't think have it's going. Got, have, have we got Baba? Baba! Hey. <laughs> Something very similar. A very appropriate celebration of the occasion. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's too funny. Is this thing on? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Welcome to Hangar Talk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are here today. Uh, we've got timely informative and uh a needed mm-hmm. needed guests on today's show we're going to be Bro, talking that's what about, we do that's uh, what we do uh, okay you're right you're right but sometimes it, it really hits the sweet spot okay and today it really hits the sweet spot with All uh, right. uh getting ethan lane on here to talk about a lawsuit that was filed by ncba and others mm-hmm. against epa just this morning So we will get the details of that. And then we're hitting the debt ceiling. What exactly does it mean? Uh, Dr. Vince Malanga, president and CEO of LaSalle Economics, is going to fill us in on all of that. Uh, We got about, I would call it, eight inches of snow here at the... Really? uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It, It came... It came really fast and furious last night for a while. Uh, most of that came uh-huh. from 6 to midnight. Whoa. So, yeah. Can I yeah, assume it, it the uh, the heavy Chevy is in the barn? Is that the the heavy Chevy is in the barn. And, right. and the side-by-side with the blade is awaiting its, uh, its deployment down the lane. Very nice. Very yes, nice. Yes, and it's, it's sitting all in the garage coming together. all nice and warm. Man, I'm telling you. I love it when the plan works. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get to the news. Well, let's begin here. The American Farm Bureau Federation joined 17 other organizations representing agriculture, infrastructure, and housing, as well as county and state farm bureaus in filing suit against the new waters of the U.S. rule, which this week was published in the Federal Register. AFBF President Zippy Duval commented, quote, farmers and ranchers should not have to hire a team of lawyers and consultants to determine how we can farm our land. 
Duval continued, quote, the new rule is vague and creates uncertainty for America's farmers, even if they're miles from the nearest navigable water. And we've got Ethan Lane to weigh in from the NCBA on this. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. Yep. We'll talk to him next. Well, the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits fell by 15,000 to 190,000 last week. That's the lowest in four months, Chip, and well below expectations of 214,000. The result further consolidated evidence of a tight labor market despite high borrowing costs. We'll get Vince's take on on the labor market uh, at the bottom of the hour. Well, the Treasury Department will begin taking special measures to keep paying the government's bills today as the divided Congress braces for a potentially lengthy and difficult debate over raising the debt ceiling. With the federal government up to uh, about to run up against the debt limit, the Treasury Department said it expects to start deploying extraordinary measures to keep paying obligations to bondholders, Social Security recipients, and others until at least early June. Yeah, Vince will have the details on exactly what it means if the country would go into default, which some are saying, hey, we've spent too much money. It's time to not. Well, there are consequences to that. In international economic news, Japan logged its largest recorded annual trade deficit in 2022. The main cause was high import costs, which rose by 39% as energy prices soared and the yen weakened. The Russian ruble is showing signs of weakness, falling 12% against the dollar since the start of December. That's after a run that made it one of 2022's best-performing currencies. A prolonged decline could reignite Russia's long-standing inflation problems and complicate the Kremlin's efforts to channel resources to the war in Ukraine. And China's housing market flipped from being a growth driver to an economic drag in 2022. With sales slumping, prices falling, and widespread job losses, the prognosis for this year, according to the Wall Street Journal, isn't much better. Chip, we've talked about the importance of that uh, the real estate sector to China's general economy quite a bit. Yeah, it's where the middle class stores their wealth. Well, yep. uh, that wealth has been overrun by an oversupply. China's health authority said that demand for critical care for COVID-19 patients has peaked with 40% fewer people in the hospital on January 17 than on January 5th. For the first time since 2019, Chinese people may travel freely during the holidays surrounding the Lunar New Year on Sunday. And finally, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry will launch an initiative called the National Strategy to Develop Statistics for Environmental Economic Decisions to Take Stock of the Nation's Natural Resources. To Dandy. develop statistics. To develop statistics. In other words, he doesn't have any evidence to uh-huh. support what he's promoting. Mm-hmm. Therefore, let's get something out there and develop the numbers that will support mm-hmm. what I am proposing. Yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, thank you, Davis. You betcha. Greg Henderson, Editorial Director at Drovers. Hey, Greg, how you doing, buddy? Good morning. I'm well, Chip. All right. Cattlemen are burning through the hay this time of the year. What's happening in the market? Yeah, absolutely. So USDA said those December 1 stocks uh, were were the lowest since 1973, Chip, uh, about 72 million tons. That sounds like a lot, but it's 16% below the previous 10-year average. And each of those top 10 states for hay stocks we're down compared to the 10-year average, and collectively, we're down 21%. So 
specifically that Texas, for example, which is the largest hay producer, down 34%, Missouri down 33%. So what this is telling us, Chip, is that decreased hay stocks means that the cattle industry could face additional liquidation of cows and heifers this winter, and it's particularly vulnerable to severe winter weather the next couple of months. So uh, this that December storm that we had, if you remember already, yeah. took a big chunk out of that hay stock that was reported for December one. So we don't we're down already. And if you got eight inches of snow last night, um, yeah. I'm guessing that that Iowa and uh, Central Nebraska got hit pretty hard. We yeah. didn't get snow here in Kansas City area, but um, I'm guessing that uh, it, it's a rough morning feeding cattle today. Yeah. Yep, no doubt about it, and uh, it's a wet snow. And you know when those when the mama cows get wet, you put a little extra hay out there to keep them warm. And and uh, we're getting into the feeding time here in Iowa, that is for sure. Greg, good stuff, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chip. All right, Greg Henderson, editorial director at Drovers. What is up with WOTUS and APHIS? APHIS is making some adjustments on the animal ID. We'll get the details. From Ethan Lane, VP Government Affairs, NCBA, next here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, AgriTalk is live every weekday. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us. Davis is still here as well. So I sure am. No, no yep. snow down in your area? Uh, you know what? There, uh, there were some flurries this morning. Okay. Not very many, though. Not very many? No, not Stay, at all. Staying Ooh. out of it. Well, that's good. Got a heck of a nice rain yesterday. Okay. Um, gotcha. But uh, other than that, no. All right. Uh, okay, let's get to the conversation with Ethan Lane, VP of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, it's been too long. It's good to talk with you again. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you doing? Doing just fine, just fine. Real quick, your meeting, uh, the the meetup, the convention is is happening soon. Where, when, how do we get more information on it? Yeah, small get together in New Orleans, uh, eight or nine thousand of your closest friends. Um, we we are we are in full convention mode. We're heading to New Orleans February first to the third. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic meeting. Uh, Taylor Sheridan from Yellowstone fame is going to be there. Uh, we're going to have all kinds of policy discussions. Obviously, we're going to have Deputy Secretary Jewel Brana from USDA, uh, a host of other policy officials. 
um, it is going to be a fantastic opportunity to dig into everything going on in the cattle industry. And, and obviously, from my perspective, get, get some real good direction on our policy process as well. Fantastic. All right. Good stuff, man. Um, okay. Talk to me about the lawsuit that was filed not only by NCBA, but by other organizations, the American Farm Bureau Federation in particular, uh, against EPA. What's going on? Well, you know, this is the, the gift that keeps on giving. WOTUS, you know, yeah. we've been talking about this for, for a better part of a decade plus now. Um, you know, the, the lawsuit that we filed yesterday is in keeping with our longstanding opposition to uh, a, a clean water rule uh, on federal jurisdiction over, over waters that uh, extends too far and that, that provides way too much of an avenue for the federal government to exert authority over private property uh, that they don't have any business exerting authority over. And, and that argument going all the way back to 2008 about what is a significant nexus, right, between uh, a federal water and an upstream connection, whether that be uh, you know, a dry stream bed or, or some kind of a runoff area. You know, I'm from the state of Arizona. The entire state is a WOTUS, you know, depending on the definition that you use. So responding to the Biden administration's most recent uh, rule on this, uh, replacing the Trump administration's navigable waters protection rule, which we believe was a much better standard. Um, and and uh, this is kind of the first step in that process of pushing back on the latest problematic rule out of uh, EPA and happening at a time, Chip, when uh, the Supreme Court is is, is uh, evaluating a decision on another WOTUS case yeah. that could have tremendous impact on, on this rulemaking. So the timing of this is bizarre from EPA, but here we sit. Yeah, we've been talking about waiting for the Supreme Court to rule on this for quite some time before the final rule is issued, but here it is. And, and of course, now we need to deal with it. Um, what, what about the exemptions for farmers and ranchers? Well, they, you know, they were, they were not in the proposed rule. They had, they stripped those out, which was a major problem. And and they did restore a lot of them in the final rule, uh, that, that came out, but it doesn't go far enough to provide the protection that producers need, just like it didn't in previous iterations, um, from the uncertainty that comes with a rule like this. And further in this rule, uh, you know, adding to that uncertainty, uh, they inserted some language about evaluating some of these on a case-by-case basis. Well, you want to talk about uncertainty, you know, case-by-case basis and federal government are things that you never want to hear side by side, right? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, this, this just adds to that idea that the average producer out there says, well, what am I supposed to believe or think? What's my exposure and, and what's, What's my risk of a, you know, a federal authority stepping onto my private property and telling me what I can do uh, on that on that land? And that's at right. the core of this issue. Um, and we think that's at the core of what the Supreme Court is probably going to be looking at on the previous rule. Remember, they're looking at the previous version of this rule. But if they rule on those larger concepts, it could have major implications for what's viable in this current rule. So they could impact this current rule with how they rule on what's already before them. So it's sort of, it's almost like a way to super, uh, to super speed up the, the federal process. This lawsuit we just filed typically would take years. We could have some movement that could impact this in months. Okay. 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 So there, there were like 1700 individual cattle producers that, that reached out to EPA and offered their, their comments on on WOTUS right so for the most part cattlemen did their job who's on the other side of this how did this rule get through I mean who filed the comments in favor 
Well, I mean, you know, the, 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 what you would expect, you know, the average environmental group uh, has tens of thousands of people on their email list. These are typically people who don't live in areas where they're dealing with these regulations, right? If you're in a condo in New York City or Salt Lake or somewhere, um, you know, you're, you're watching this stuff on the Nature Channel, you're not living it every day. Um, and, and they can blast that out to tons of people. And, and we almost always get out commented on volume. Um, yeah. No matter whether we're talking about an endangered species issue or a WOTUS issue or wild horses or whatever else you might think. Um, but, you know, where, where we hope the agency always pays attention is the difference between a truly impacted stakeholder and interested public. Both right. have a voice, but they need to be looking at the difference between somebody who has specific knowledge and impact versus somebody who says, gosh, I have concerns as an American citizen about this. Yeah, yeah. There should be a difference between a, a a personal comment and a uh, you know hit 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 uh, send to send this uh, this letter to the EPA on what what uh, the the waters of the U.S. rule should be. Well, just, and if you want to lose, it leaves, it leaves lose me confused and... here, a little dazed and confused over all of this because, like you said, Ethan, it's been going on for more than a decade. Why can't we find a result? Because it's it's it is it, it, I think of it like a tide going in and out, depending on who's in the administration at any one yeah. time. The, the the their interpretation of that federal nexus goes closer uh, to our way when Republicans are in office that have a more limited view of federal authority. Um, it recedes and, and provides a broader avenue for EPA in a Democratic administration where they believe in a more robust role for the federal government. So this I mean, this really speaks to it the right there. Of, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's just it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely gives the party something to fight about. No question oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. Okay, take us over to USDA's proposed rule on electronic identification for cattle moving interstate. What What is the change from the current rule and how does it uh, impact cattlemen? So you got to kind of roll back to the Trump administration where Undersecretary Eyeball, when he was still there, took on this issue. They pushed out a rule right before the end of the Trump administration that set out a timeline for transitioning to what at that time they were calling uh, a mandatory RFID tags. So radio frequency identification tags uh, for use in, in cattle. Uh, specifically uh, intact, sexually intact cattle over 18 months, right? So breeding stock. Um, this rule uh, is a result of, of the Biden administration when they came in, like they did with a lot of regulations, pulling back anything with the Trump name on it and kind of revisiting, all right, how do we get this uh, framed in a way that we like as far as our, you know, as our perspective uh, in the new administration? So what we have is a rule that looks different than what we saw at the end of the Trump administration in that that took us over a three or four year ramp up period to transition. Um, it focused on RFID tags. This one would go live uh, as soon as it was finalized, which is still going to be, you know, a year to 18 months out. Um, okay. And, and it, uh, it, it changes from RFID to just electronic identification. And that's a nod towards the idea that technology evolves and we're going to see different things down the line that may be better to use than, than the current suite of tools that, that are at our disposal, you know, and, and the issues with high frequency versus low frequency tags and sale barns in different places uh, could go by the wayside in the past. But this rule is different too, in that um, it, it puts a lot of uh, responsibility on distributors of those tags um, to collect information about where those tags are going. So whether you're a veterinarian, uh, whether you are a state that's handing those tags out, that information has to be uploaded uh, to either the federal 
the federal APHIS database or uh, a state or tribal equivalent of that database that can be readily accessed by USDA in the event of a, a need for a traceback. So think, yeah. and, you know, unthinkable, the FMB outbreak that we're also yep. afraid of that could come to U.S. soil. The difference is the difference between them taking weeks or months to find that issue and, and be able to free yep. up cattle yep. for movement again versus the ability to very quickly do that because all of the data is at their fingertips, tips, right? So that's the intent of what they're doing here. For our purposes in the cattle industry, we do believe that we need this nationally significant system. We're behind the curve internationally on this issue. Um, and there are producers in certain parts of the country who don't like this, but the reality is the economic impact to the industry, if we had an all stop, would be it would be devastating. But we've got to do it in a way that, that really pays attention to the privacy of producers' information. And whenever you talk about building huge databases of information, producers, rightfully so, start to get concerned. So we're going to be spending a lot of time working with USDA, commenting on this rule to ensure that it meets our industry's expectations for data privacy, data security, okay. and that those, this rule is done in a way that meets our expectations for uh, solving the problem without upending uh, our, our producers' uh, uh, well-being in the, in the process. Gotcha. Good stuff, Ethan. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this for us this morning. Have fun down in New Orleans, and we'll talk again soon. You bet. Talk to you soon. All right. That is Ethan Lane, VP of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We've got Dr. Vince Malanga up next here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach markets are a little bit all over the place again here this morning, aren't they, on the grain side? Yeah, um, so I'll start in the soy complex, uh, soybean, soy meal, and, and soy oil all trading to the downside. Uh, um, still above yesterday's lows in, in soybeans, and, and so that's, I think, critical uh, support today that must hold. Uh, we had that big range yesterday, obviously, and uh, um, so if we hold within that, I think it's you know just corrective trade at this point in time, and, and uh, uh, if you drop below yesterday's lows, you pick off some sell stops, and, and we're probably likely to extend losses at that point in time, so uh, but, you know, all in all, it's just corrective trade. Uh, okay. Corn market, it's directionless. I mean, I can't yeah. say anything more. It barely moving from unchanged, just, you know, a little bit above, a little bit below, and, and just can't go anywhere. And uh, basically the same thing with the wheat market, a little bit more strength in spring wheat futures, yeah. but uh, the winter wheat market's just kind of hanging around unchanged. All right. All right. Very good. Take us over to the livestock trade. I mean, 
we got to talk about it, even though yeah. it's kind of the same story again in the lean hogs. Yeah, stop me if you've heard this before, but um, <laughs> hog futures uh, continue to fall here. Uh, the cash index just continues to decline, and, and uh, uh, pork cutout is falling as well. And until those uh, cash fundamentals firm up, it's going to be really difficult to find buyers in the uh, hog futures, and, and uh, that's just kind of a broken record here, I know, day to day. Uh, the cattle market's involved in the uh, the sell-off today, uh, moderate to sharp losses there, and, and uh, I think the expectations on cash cattle are starting to weaken as we get deeper into the week here. Yeah, just getting tired of waiting for it to happen. So, all right, Brian, thank you so much. That's Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. Hey. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. No. AgriTalk for the good people of planet Earth. And the ladies! <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Chip. That's Davis. And uh, um, great conversation there with Ethan about some of the how the sausage oh, is made on some of these rules and regulations that are out there. You know, that's yeah. that's really what we're looking at. I and he got straight to the bottom line on WOTUS. Yeah. You know, finally, yeah. we got straight to the bottom line. It's just something for the two parties to fight about. Well, and, and, yeah. And here we are stuck in the middle of it. I've got some thoughts on that. I took some extensive notes. We'll talk more in the fourth. Okay. Very good. Very good. Looking forward to that. Vince Malanga is the president and CEO of LaSalle Economics out in New York. He joins us right now. Vince, it's good to talk with you again. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year, Chip. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. I, I want to talk the economy. I want to talk interest rates. But Vince, this debt ceiling this time around, it's, I'm, getting, I, I'm getting more and more comments in about, hey, Okay, now we're going to see this come to a head. We're really going to find out what happens when the government has shut down. We're really going to find out what happens when we don't raise the debt ceiling. Is that going to happen? Well, you know, I mean, we've, this is not the first time that this issue has arisen. And, uh, you know, each, uh, each previous episode, the markets have sort of disciplined uh, the uh, legislative branch uh, if you go back to 2011, the last time this thing came to a head, when Moody's downgraded the uh, U.S. debt, uh, and also uh, it looked like there was a debt ceiling impasse until the stock market dropped about 20% in two weeks, yep. uh, and then they finally come to it came to an agreement. Things are worse this time around. Uh, there's less flexibility in the budget than there was 10 years ago. Uh, the debt-to-GDP ratio is about twice as high as it was 10 years ago, uh, and both sides seem to be uh, dug in. Uh, so this is going to uh, be ever-present over the next three, four, five months, uh, and the hope is that uh, sanity prevails, but we sure got a lot of insane people out there. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, what happens to Main Street America if the U.S. does default? Well, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, they'll they they might prioritize uh, certain types of uh, certain types of payments, uh, but the fact is that seventy five percent of the budget is now mandatory spending, 
And so uh, there's less, a lot less flexibility in what they can curtail versus what they cannot. Uh, and so if it's really a default, uh, you're going to see pain spread across the board. Mm. What? Okay, obviously, it's going to, as you said, it is going to be a, a heated topic of discussion in the House in particular, I would say, over the next three, four, five months. Um, wh- how do you think this all wraps up? Well, I think, first of all, with respect to the Federal Reserve, I think the Federal Reserve better not uh, have their heads in the sand here because, uh, you know, if they continue on their merry way here with the economy showing recessionary tendencies and inflation starting to tumble, if they keep raising interest rates and throw the economy into a real recession, we won't be talking about trillion-dollar deficits. We'll be talking about $2 trillion deficits to make the matter even uh, even worse. So I think that's something that the Fed has to be cognizant of in here also. Uh, as far as the executive and legislative branches, I mean, obviously, when we are four months away from uh, the deadline, both sides are going to dig in their heels. Yeah. Uh, in the past, uh, at the last minute, these, tends to, these things tend to be resolved. But all I'm saying is, is that this time around, or every time, each time this arises, there's less flexibility than the previous time to come to an agreement. So, you know, they're playing with fire. Yeah. Yeah. And and this uh, House of Representatives seems more willing to dig in the heels and not compromise. And uh, well, I mean, it they... seems that it seems that way. And there's not, there's very little margin for error. And, you know, of course, there's only anybody can bring up uh, for a vote to uh, abdicate the speaker's chair. Right. So that really makes him uh, be walking a high wire, doing a high wire act here as well. Yeah. Yep. No question about it. Okay. You you started to get us into the economic discussion here with headed towards a recession. The Fed had better watch out. What is the condition of the U.S. economy right now? Well, November and, the, November and December were clearly very weak months for the economy. They had the data show a recessionary tendency uh, for the economy, uh, and that's likely to be spilling over into the uh, into the new year and year. Uh, you know, the bond market is telling you that the Fed is overdoing it, that they shouldn't be tightening anymore uh, and, and the like. But so far, these guys seem to be uh, seem to be on a mission to get the federal funds rate up another 50 or 75 basis points regardless. And in the meanwhile, as we look out over the next six months, we're going to see inflation not fall like a stone, but fall like a boulder. And so my bias is that probably by May or June, the inflation rate is going to be down perhaps even less than 2% when measured on a yearly rate. Uh, And so that raises a whole new set of questions. So I think the economy is weak. I think there's the opportunity for this thing to end calmly rather than abruptly. But I think the Fed has to really be paying attention here. And so far, they seem to be uh, turning a blind eye. The one well, thing I will say, yeah. the Fed always turns a blind. The Fed always turns a blind eye until they don't. Yeah. And so. Uh, yep. You know, we'll see. They'll react at some point. Well, it, the the number one thing, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. The number one thing that they're looking at is a lagging indicator, being the jobs market, right? 
that's correct. And there are even signs of weakness in the job market. I mean, you don't see it. You don't see it in uh, the levels of employment and unemployment. Could be perhaps that companies are hoarding labor, but you are seeing it in the back stages. You know, a lot of the a lot of the payroll growth now is in part-time workers. The length of the work week is starting to shorten up. Uh, manufacturing activity is starting to weaken measurably. So you're starting to see it, but that's why I say they're paying attention to a lagging indicator, which is why I think they can't can't afford to keep turning a blind eye to what's going on now as opposed to uh, what may happen later. Okay. How are the consumers doing? Are consumers seeing enough in an increase in, in what they're making to keep up with inflation? Well, they haven't been, but I think over the next, uh, you know, you'll see that that condition at least gradually in, improve, not so much uh, because wages are going to go up at a faster rate, but really because inflation is going to come tumbling down. Okay. So that's, that's partial cushion. Uh, interest rates, at least market interest rates, are moderating, and that's going to help stabilize the housing market. And so those, those are partial cushions uh, to the process. Yeah, Vince, that little bit of a downtick in the average 30-year fixed mortgage rate in the last reporting period, I think just last week, spurred a big increase in in uh, uh, mortgage requests. Did that surprise yeah. you? Yeah. Well, not really. I mean, I think at this time of year, you get a lot of seasonal disturbances uh, as well, okay. and you you know you had so I don't I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that one to the bank. Okay. Okay. How are businesses doing? We talked a little bit about consumers. How about businesses? How are they doing? You know, from farmers to manufacturing, everybody's dealing with higher costs. Well, there's a, I mean, there are some good things. and I mean, it's really mixed. The dollar index, you know, and farmers are seeing the benefit of that, too. But the dollar index is coming down, uh, and so that's helpful to the bottom line. Uh, productivity is picking up a little bit, so that's uh, helpful to have, to keep margins intact, but you know one of the one of the negative side effects of a slowdown in inflation uh, is that they tend to lose pricing power, and uh, so as a result of that, uh, it makes and if you're if you're losing pricing power at the same same time that volumes are moderating, uh, there's going to be pressure on profits in here. But we know there's going to be pressure on profits in here. There always is uh, at this time. So. Under the right set of circumstances, markets will look through that. Okay. How are the equities markets going to react to everything that we just talked about? I think the equity market cannot uh, cannot ignore what's going on uh, in Washington with respect to the debt ceiling. You know, it, and as as time draws closer, they'll pay more and more attention to it. But right now, it's probably not a measurable worry. Uh, but as time gets closer, it will become so, uh, especially if the Fed is continuing to be uh, dogmatic in its efforts to uh, slow things down and slow inflation uh, and keep pushing interest rates up. So the equity yeah. market has a lot to chew on here. And one yeah. of the things, the key thing that they're worried about is that the Fed is overdoing it. They're yeah. tightening into a weakening economy, which is not good. Yep. Got about 40 seconds left. Are you watching anything out of Davos? Uh, no, I don't watch that at all. I think that's uh, a bunch of a bunch of purported climate advocates that all they do is fly in and out with their private jets. Yep. 
Yeah, hey, but you know, you got John Kerry that's uh, is, is developing a, well, let's see, what exactly was it? Something to come up with the statistics that he needs. They're going to make the story fit what they're proposing. You know that, Vince. Well, I know. That's one guy we can do without. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. It's great to talk with you again, Vince. We'll, we'll catch up again Take soon. Take care. All right, thank you. That's Dr. Vince Malanga. He is the president and CEO of LaSalle Economics. All right, Davis said that he was taking notes, and I've got a few things that I want to hit on from the conversation with with Vince as well. So we'll go through Davis's notes and and highlight some of the comments next here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. I don't know what you're thinking. So call us at 855-4-TALK-AG and tell us what's on your mind. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Appreciate you tuning in. Love it. Love every second of it. Davis Michelson here. Chip Flory standing by. Um, I I tell you, you can't use that that bump there at the start. You know, I don't know what you're thinking with Vince. (laughs) We, We know exactly what Vince is thinking after that conversation. Man! Well... I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the pin on you okay. here and uh, just sort of step away in a moment. But first, I want to I want to <laughs> talk about it's not a pin on a wagon, is it? No, I'm afraid Does not. Does this thing go boom? No. It may be an incendiary device. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Right. We're on yeah. the same page. Ethan Lane from NCBA, um, talking about the Wotus thing. It just mm-hmm. it it stirred up some ideas, and maybe I'm making connections where they. They don't belong here. Connect right? the dots, baby. Here's what he said. Case by case is not what you want to hear when it comes to the government. No. No. And he was they speaking about. The ru- they'll make up the rules on the on the fly. Exactly. And yeah. he was speaking specifically about WOTUS. But yeah. if you think about it, also in today's news, the Treasury Department is taking extraordinary measures to keep the government funded. That sounds like a case by case kind of a thing. And then when we've when we've been talking about the farm bill, what's the thing that we keep talking about? The ad hoc spending. Yeah. Case by case, case, by case basis. Year by year basis. Yep. What is that does seem to be the trend of the way that um our our leaders want to to govern us, wants to deal with Issues such as hurricanes and wildfires, uh, the debt ceiling, and now what is a navigable body of water. 
I don't like this at all, and it seems like it's a trend. It's not just one issue. I don't have anything to add to what you just said. Yeah. You you summed it up very well. Uh, It is the trend, and it is because of the political discourse. We no longer have statesmen in the Senate, or there might be a, a few left in the Senate that still talk behind closed doors and try to, you know, find that middle ground where there are points of agreement and where there is some negotiation that takes place that might still exist in the Senate. But the turnover in the House is so great that there is none of that left in the House. Not, not even between the say within the parties. Yeah. In some well, cases, there's no willingness to negotiate and be in and, and it just doesn't happen. And and add to that, I mean, to me the overarching problem is that it puts us in a position of reacting to crises, to spending deficits, to natural disasters rather than having a plan well, in place ahead of time. And if you're reacting it, yeah. it, it, it lets them put the whole everybody in America on edge. Yes. Or I shouldn't say everybody. Yeah. Those that are paying attention. Okay. It puts those mm-hmm. that are paying attention on edge and and raises anxiety levels. And then at at the last second, there's okay. Well, I guess we got to do this. Right. Yeah. And not only that, but it 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 depends on the loudest voice championing a particular problem or an issue and how to deal with that rather than no these are the rules this is what we said we would do if this happens this has happened now we have a plan here's what we're going to do and and okay i i am all about i am all about uh some political discourse and the debate Absolutely. that it creates and the debate yep. that it creates and the conversation you know y- you saw me kind of evolve during the speaker the 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 balloting on on the house speaker mm-hmm. i went from come on what are these guys doing to you yeah. know what that was really interesting look yeah, at what that too. did look what that created yeah. it was an opportunity for come for for de- negotiation this yep. this might end up being a good thing and i think it was because it exposed a lot of the issues that we are dealing with in the house now but when a very small group in the majority can make the majority the minority. That's when we run into the real risk of a shutdown. Mm -hmm. That's when we run into the real risk of, if you think things are bad for small businesses in America right now, let's downgrade America's credit status. Right. Let's and, and see what it costs them to do business every day then. Well, that takes us to Malango's comments, and here's where I'll pull the pin. Vince Malango hopes that sanity prevails. <laughs> Go. He, he <laughs> hopes. He hopes that sanity prevails. Um I I I you know what? Ultimately I think I think I'm in Vince's camp. And mm-hmm. by by Vince saying hopefully sanity prevails, it's Vince saying they're they're going to make 
They're going to raise the debt ceiling and and pay the bills. They're not going to let the U.S. default on bills. There may be some priority, some some different priorities on which bills are paid when, but the bills will will be paid. Seventy five percent of the budget is mandatory, mandatory. spending. Yeah, that uh, that was a an eye-opening figure and an eye-opening concept to me as well. Yeah, it, it's just, uh, um, you know, we talked about it with Wiesmeyer on the farm bill. Let's just say that the farm bill does expire, okay? And the problem is the farm bill doesn't expire. It reverts to Dust right. Bowl days, right. farm, farm uh, policy. So that's part of the reason that it won't just expire. It, at a minimum, will be extended. But if by somehow the farm bill would expire, about 95% of the spending in it is already mandatory. Okay, conservation efforts, the, uh, the crop insurance, the SNAP program, those kinds of things. So it matters getting this farm bill done, but it doesn't end the spending. Okay. Oh, wow. That was a lot of fun here this morning. Thank you so much for listening. Come back this afternoon. We got Arlen Suderman from Stonex right here on Agritalk.